Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Appreciate uh, the worship team and that time, powerful time today. The earth lost one of its finest servants when Janice Lee Strop passed away January 19th, 2020 in Cox South in Springfield following one of the most courageous and tenacious 13-year battle with cancer and kidney failure. She served with dignity and humility that only Jan could master. Her faith in her Lord never wavered, and her outlook and determination never ceased. To quote, courage is not having the strength to go on. It's going on when the strength is gone. Jan's life was built upon serving others rather than being served. Her witness to all was one of encouragement and goodness. She drew people to herself with respect and kindness and love. She met others with an infectious smile that made each one feel instantly loved and never judged. She had gifts of music and interior design, even without formal training, but her greatest gift was her heart for sharing. From that heart came honesty, caring, gentleness, kindness, integrity, loyalty, God-fearing, courage, tenacity, commitment, patience, simplicity, grace, respect, And most of all, love. Knowing her was to love her. And if you truly knew her, it was easy to love her. Words are not, words are inadequate to express the heartfelt gratitude of Jan's family to the many who selflessly served Jan during her many years of illness. Jan is survived by her dear husband, 41 years Michael, her mother Leona, her sister Judith, and a host of nieces and nephews. She's also survived by literally hundreds, hundreds of people who knew her and now have a missing piece in their hearts because Jan is no longer with us physically. Jan is gone, but she will never be forgotten by those who love her. A dear friend described it best when he stated, if we all had Jan's resilience, if we all had Jan's goodness, if we all had Jan's love for Jesus, this world would be a much, much better place. I had lost kind of contact with Jan over the last several years. Um, about two or three months ago, we'd been able to reconnect and uh, got a text from Mike, her husband. January 16th, Tammy and I were boarding a plane and we were headed to Florida to a nationals for our kids. And he text said, uh, hey, just wanted you to know Jan's dialysis has stopped. Their kidneys are no longer, obviously not functioning, dialysis is no longer working. And there's really nothing they can do, and so they put her in the hospital on comfort care. Just wanted you to know. Responded back, obviously, and I said, Mike, I'm so sorry. I, it breaks my heart. Be praying for you. Be praying for Jan. Please, please tell Jan that Tammy and I love her. I said, I'll connect with you when I get home. January the 19th, my birthday of all days, got a text from Mike. He said, hey, just wanted you to know Jan passed away this morning. Jan was a champion. Jan was a champion when it came to standing in the gap. She was an absolute champion. And I wanted to introduce you to her today because, one, we're talking about sharing your life. 
in the context of our Who's Your One series. And we're asking God, who is our one God? Who is someone in our life? Who is, who is a person in our life, in our sphere of influence, a neighbor, coworker, friend, family member, that needs to know you, that is far from you? And we're asking God, just, just, just show us that person. And we have to ask the question today, as God reveals that to us, am I willing to share my life? Am I willing to share my life? See, Jan was willing to share her life. I have no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind that I am standing here today because I was one of Jan's ones. I was one of her ones. I was someone that she was willing to pray for. I was someone that she was willing to invest in. I was someone that she was willing to look for opportunities to speak to. I was someone that when the timing was right and when God's spirit moved and opened the door that she was willing to share the gospel with. I met Jan when I was a junior in high school. My first encounter with her was me confronting her about something that she had done that was really irritating me. So I was on a mission to confront her. About that time in my life, my, my mom and dad had opened a second store in Springfield and opened a third store in Joplin. My mom did most of the book works and the payroll, so she'd gone back to work full time. Uh, Jan had been cleaning my, my grandparents' house and a couple of other people they knew that they went to church with. And so they'd asked Jan to come and clean their house. They'd hired her to come clean the house. She would come on Wednesdays. I, have, I remember it vividly. It was Wednesdays because of what happened on Thursdays. That particular time in my life, I was pretty rebellious. Don't know why. Just I was rebellious against my parents. I was rebellious towards God. Um, seems like I had a lot of anger inside. I have no idea why I had anger. I, maybe because I was a teenage boy. I have no idea. But every morning I would get up. And I'd go into the bathroom, and I'd flip on my radio, and I'd hit play on my cassette tape, because that's what we listened to back then. And as I got in the shower, as the water would run over my head, I would listen to my favorite 80s hair band or heavy metal cassette tape, right? And that's how I would wake up in the morning. Thursdays began to be a little different, because when I would flip on my radio and hit play on the cassette tape, I'd be waiting to hear my quiet riot my rat, my Motley Crue tape. But instead, I would hear the most awful 70s, 80s Christian air of music that you could ever think of. And I don't know if you ever listened to Christian music in the 70s and 80s, and if you like it, I apologize. But we are so blessed to have what we listen to today, all right? The best way I can describe it is you take Wham! and you give them a choir, that's the best way that I can describe 70s and 80s Christian music. It was, it was awful. It was awful. And the problem was, before I would realize that I was in the shower and I couldn't do anything about it. And so I was on a mission. This lady was not going to mess with my music anymore. And so after school, on a Wednesday, I remember that day I rushed home. I usually stopped at McDonald's, got a large fry, six McNuggets, and... Uh, Sweet and sour sauce with a Dr. Pepper, hung out with my friends. Not that day. That day, I headed home. I beelined it home. I wanted to catch Jan before she was gone. I walk in the front door. I knew she was downstairs. You know why I knew she was downstairs? The music. I could hear that god-awful music playing in my basement. And so I rushed downstairs, going to confront her, full intent to confront her. And the next thing I know, it was about an hour and a half later, she was packing up her stuff to leave, and she says, little Johnny Doc, because that's how she so affectionately referred to me as, Johnny Doc. She said, little Johnny Doc, 
I'm going to be praying for you this week. I'm going to be praying for you this week. I never confronted her. All of a sudden, we were besties. I mean, it was the craziest thing. I looked forward to having conversations with a lady who cleaned my parents' house. <laughs> that, from that moment on, it was about a three- to four-year journey of her sharing her life with me, with Tammy, we were dating at the time, that ultimately culminated with me accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Why? Why? Because someone, Jan, was willing to begin to pray for me, was willing to take time to build a relationship with me, was willing to show me kindness and love, never judging me, and was willing to tell me about someone who had radically changed my life, and that was Jesus. And for that, I will be forever, forever grateful. So what I'd like to do now, before we even move on to the rest of this talk, is I'd like for us to take time to pray for our one. Like I said, the last couple of weeks, we've been asking you, we've been asking you, hey, be praying about someone that you know, maybe someone that God is revealing to you, that you just need to begin to pray for, someone that is far from God. And so I want us to take a moment, before we move on, let's, it's, it's appropriate for us to stop and pray for that person. If you're out there and you're like, well, I don't have a one, I don't even know who my one would be, that's okay. That's okay. Just join along with the prayer. Maybe you can think of someone. Maybe someone will come to your mind as we pray for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you first and foremost for the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father God, as we have been lifting this up, we've been praying about that. Hopefully, with, with, with all of us here, someone has come to our mind. And Father God, right now, we just lift that person to you. And you can whisper that in your own mind right now. We lift them to you right now. And we ask today, Father God, would be a day that they would move closer to you. Today, Father God, would you continue to reveal yourself to them. Maybe it's by people you put around them. Maybe it's by circumstances that they find themselves in. Maybe, God, maybe, just maybe it would be us that you would continue to use to draw them closer to you. And Father God, we pray that as we talk about this today, the idea of sharing our life, that we would be willing to carve out time, that we would be willing to take time and invest in their life, hoping for the opportunity, looking for the opportunity to share the greatest gift of all, your son Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So back to our question, are you, are we willing to share our life? Turn with me if you have your copy of scripture to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 18 through 20, very, very, very familiar passage uh, known as the Great Commission, and it says this, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey my commands as I have given you. And be sure of this, and be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the ends of the age. I chose this translation specifically, the New Living Translation, because I love how it specifically says Jesus came and told who? 
his disciples. His disciples. A few weeks ago, when we launched this series, Pastor Tony, we launched this series, he talked about how the word Christian wasn't used to describe the believers in the New Testament, that there was a different word. There was a better word that was used to describe Christians, and it was the word disciple. A true disciple, uh, then again, is, is a, a true disciple is, is not just a student or a, or a learner, but a follower, a follower, someone who not only listens to and observes their teacher, their rabbi, but also looks to apply everything they learn from them. And I think when we read this verse, a lot of times we, we, we tend to attach this verse to certain things. We tend to want to attach this verse to, to missionaries, right? Because missionaries go. They go to foreign countries. They go to foreign lands and they, and they preach the gospel. So this, this verse, sometimes we say, well, well it, it applies to them. And we say, well, this, this verse applies to us when we go on a mission trip to our church or, or when we go do a serving project because we're going to go. And so we can attach that verse there. Or sometimes we say, well, this verse, this is, this is, for, this is for preachers or teachers because you know what? They have the biblical knowledge to, to be able to, to disciple and make disciples and to baptize. And so sometimes we kind of push it off on that. But the reality is sometimes we focus on the wrong things. I mean, the reality is Jesus gave his disciples three commands here to make disciples, to baptize them, and to obey, teach them to obey Christ's commands. Now, if we are Christ's followers, if we are disciples, would not those same commands then apply to us today? Would not those same commands apply to us today? So before Jesus left this earth, he gave his disciples this charge to go make disciples, and that they did. That they did. And the book of Acts records just how they did that. We took a year last year as we walked through the book of Acts and we saw how these new believers, the disciples, were willing to share their lives. They were willing to share their lives and have gospel conversations. And when they did, it ignited the Christian movement, it ignited the movement of the church. In the beginning of Acts, chapter 2, Peter, he preaches to a crowd sharing the gospel, and 3,000 repented and believed that day. In Acts chapter 2, we hear about this community of believers, these disciples. It says they shared their lives, and when they did, people were drawn to them. People were drawn, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't go to another country. They didn't even go to another town. They did it in their neighborhoods, in their communities. They shared their lives with people all around them. In Acts chapter 3, a beggar asked Peter and John for money. And they shared with him the famous, famous verse, money and silver, or gold and silver, we have none, but guess what we do have to offer you? Something that is so much better. Something that is so much better. And they turned that conversation into a gospel conversation. And that man accepted Jesus as his savior. In Acts chapter six, we hear about this community of believers again and how ordinary men and women share their lives and it says the number of, of, of disciples rapidly, rapidly increased. Acts chapter 8, Philip opened to God's spirit moving in his life and opened to opportunities to share his life. Was asked to head south toward Gaza. And you'll meet, a, you'll, meet a, you'll meet a man. And he runs into this Ethiopian man. And he goes and he, he, he's willing to get into his chariot with him. And they open up the, the scriptures together. And he shares the scriptures. It helps him interpret those scriptures. And at that moment, that young man experienced salvation. He asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. 
In Acts chapter 9, a man named Ananias would share his life by opening his home to one of the most notorious Christian persecutors of all time, Paul. Paul would eventually come to know the Lord and would eventually be discipled by Ananias and the other disciples there. And because of that, the church, the church, the church in the New Testament, it exploded. It exploded. And it continued to grow. And I could go on, and I could go on. That's only up to Acts chapter 9. God asks us. God implores us. Dare I say he commands us, his disciples, to share our lives. Are we willing? Are we willing to make time? Are we willing to carve out time to share our lives with those who are far from Christ? Giving them and creating for them an opportunity to experience the grace and the salvation that Jesus has to offer. Jan was. Jan was. You probably have your own Jans in your life. They were. Are you? Are we? Are we willing? So I think as we, we talk about this, who's your one? There, there are some things that we can talk about that might help us along the way in this journey as we look to share our lives. The first is this, prayer. First is prayer. And we've talked a lot about this, so I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time here. This is something hopefully we've been doing. This is something hopefully you, you've taken, taken a hold of and you're beginning to pray for that person in your life. Because sharing the gospel always starts with prayer. Sharing the gospel always starts with prayer. And we need to pray for opportunities to address the brokenness in people's lives. And maybe that, maybe that brokenness is, is struggling relationships. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's loneliness and depression. I guarantee you, if you work in the world, you are around people who are lonely and you are around people who are depressed. It runs rapid in this country. And, the, and maybe that brokenness is shame and emptiness and parenting issues and family issues. More often than not, people will share the things they are struggling with with someone that they trust and someone that they feel loves them and will not judge them. I experienced that with Jan. She became my sounding board when I had issues with my parents, when I had issues with school, when I had issues in life, when I had issues with Tammy. We were dating at the time. And we need to pray for God's spirit to allow that person to be open to the truth of the gospel. And we need to pray that we would be able to sense that. And when we do sense that, that we would have the courage. We would have the courage to move on that. And we need to pray that we would trust God to give us the words to say in that moment. And so while we pray, we need to look to invest in that person. Now, this isn't like, hey, we pray, and then we invest, and then step three. No, this, these are happening. We're praying. And as we pray, we're, we're asking God for opportunities to, to pour into their lives. So we have to look to invest in this person. A great example of this is how Paul invested in young Timothy. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. It gives us a snapshot of this. He says, if the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy, who generally cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not what matters for Jesus Christ. 
But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. In verse 22, Paul refers to Timothy as his son, like a son to the father. Scholars believe most likely that is because Paul had the opportunity to lead young Timothy to Christ. And we hear, we, we assume that took place on, 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 on Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. We read about that in Acts chapter 14, but we actually read about what took place in that journey in 2 Timothy. In chapter 3, Paul, he's talking to Timothy, and he, he's writing to Timothy, he says, hey, remember on our journey to Lystra? Remember, remember when I taught you everything I knew about my teaching? Remember when I taught you everything along the way about my life, about my purpose, and about my faith? It was in that process, in that journey, by, by, by Paul asking young Timothy to come, along, to come along with him and take that journey with him, is in that process that he led young Timothy to Christ. That's what Jan did. She invested in me. Maybe at first it was conversations after school. That led to invitations for Tammy and I to have dinner with, with her and her husband, Mike. That led to opportunities for us to open God's word with them. That led for opportunities for us to go to my very first small group experience. I didn't even want even called small groups, but I think it was called Bible studies. Go figure. And, and we would, it was Tammy and I in our twenties with, with, with like, uh, five or six other couples in their fifties, but it led for opportunities for them to pour into our lives. And as we pray, as we look for opportunities to invest, we wait. We wait. We wait for that right moment. We wait for that right moment when we feel God's spirit is moving and, and, and giving us a little, a little push. That person's going to share a concern. They're going to share a problem in their life because why? They trust you because you've invested in their life. And based on that relationship you have with them, they know that you're going to be honest with them. They know that you're not going to judge them. They know that you're not going to condemn them. And it gives us an opening. It gives us an opening to share with them the very hope that you experienced that day when you crossed that threshold of faith and you accepted the gospel as truth and you asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. Do you remember that day? Think back to that very moment. Do you remember the hope that you felt at that very moment? You have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to lead someone to that hope. And when we get there, we have to be willing to share. We have to be willing to share the gospel. This is where a lot of times there's some breakdown, to be honest with you. Because sometimes just the way we live our lives isn't good enough. Sometimes just being a good example, it's not good enough. Sometimes it means that we are verbally, that we are physically going to have to take the opportunity and share and speak the gospel. And I encourage you, if you struggle with this, as many people do, don't think you're the only one, many people struggle with this part of it, okay? I'm gonna encourage you, if you do, the next time we offer Turning Everyday Conversations to Gospel Conversations, we've, we've titled it Three Circles. We've offered that. We offered that in the summer in our Connection Series. We also offered that again in January in our Connection Series. I encourage you, if you struggle with that, sign up for that the next time we offer it. 
Sign up for that. Because I will promise you, it will teach you a very simple yet non-confrontational way to share God's word, to share the gospel. Many of us struggle with this because, honestly, we fear that we're going to mess it up. We fear that we're going to you know, share the gospel incorrectly, that I just, I just don't want to mess up the gospel. I just don't want to mess it up. And we fear that. And that's legitimate. So let's look at what the scripture says. Paul, 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, he spells out the gospel for us very, very clearly. And so if you're taking notes today, I encourage you, grab a pen, grab a paper, write the scripture down. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It says, let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand for a minute. It's the good news that saves you. It's the gospel that saves you, he's saying. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was the most important. In other words, this is important. And what had been passed on to me. So he's saying, pay attention here. This is what is the most important. Christ died for your sins, as scripture says. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture says. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. That God, that Christ died for our sins, as scripture says, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, just as scripture says. Another reason I wanted to share Jehan's obituary with you today is not just to introduce you to someone that was very, very special to my life, because she was, but also it is an incredible reminder to us that we are dealing with a very, very important subject, and that is eternity. That is eternity. Not just life or death, but eternity. Sharing our lives, the idea of sharing our lives, our end goal should be looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey, live right and be a good example, and that's all you got to do. Yes, those are good things. Don't stop doing those. I'm not saying stop doing that. But he said, go and make disciples. Paul said it best in Acts 20, 24. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me. My life is absolutely useless unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What's that work he said? the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. To Paul, that was his purpose in life. Nothing else mattered to him. That his life was useless to him unless he used it for finishing the work assigned to him by the Lord Jesus, telling others about the good news, about the wonderful grace of God. So today, I close with this. If you're here today and you're experiencing brokenness, whatever that looks like to you, you find yourself struggling with life, not sure about purpose, you're not sure about your next move and, and, and what that will look like and where that will take you, you're struggling with to find happiness, meaning, 
You find that in addiction, whatever that looks like. You find yourself caught in this meaningless rut of life that my life doesn't matter. I have no idea why I'm here. Can I tell you that God has a design for your life and God has a plan for you? He created you. He loves you. And he has a plan for you from the very, very beginning of time. And maybe like myself, you find yourself rebelling against that. But let me just tell you, that makes you no different than anyone else. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All have sinned and fall short of God's perfect design, which leads to brokenness. And that's probably what you're experiencing right now. But here's the good news. The good news is what we've talked about today. It's called the gospel. It's called the gospel that God sent his son into the world to live a perfect life. He died a death on a cross that we deserve because of our sin. And he was raised again. And the Bible says that when, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he did a miracle. And he took our sin, our brokenness, and he put it on Jesus. And he put the righteousness of Jesus on anyone who would believe in him. Which means that when we believe and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we are no longer broken in God's eyes. And all we have to do is what the Bible says, and it says to repent and believe in Jesus. Repent means about face. I'm no longer going to try to fix myself. I'm going to realize I can't do it. But I'm going to trust that what Jesus did can. And I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that that is enough for me to make us right with God. And once we repent and once we believe, we can pursue God's perfect design for our lives again. It's like a do-over. Everyone loves a do-over, right? Ever flunked a test? The professor says, take it again. Everyone loves a do-over. Bad shot in golf, it's called a mulligan. Everyone loves a do-over, right? But this do-over, it's eternal. It's eternal. Oh, life's not perfect after this. Believe me, it's not perfect. But I will tell you, and I will promise you, that God's grace is sufficient from that point on as he continues to change our heart and draw us closer to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for salvation that you offer through your son Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for the gospel. And we thank you, Father God, for the message of the gospel. And we thank you, Father God, that it has the ability to change lives, radically change lives. And I pray, Father God, if there is someone here that needed to hear that in my voice, whether they be online or in this room, I pray, Father God, that your spirit would move in their heart. I pray your spirit would move radically in their heart. Father God, thank you for, for putting people in our lives that speak to us, that are honest with us, that love us, that invest in us. I thank you for the Jans in this world, God. Father God, would you use us? Would we be, a, be like that? Would we be willing to share our lives? With you? Would you break our hearts 
for people who don't know you. As you command us, Father, to go and make disciples, would we be willing to share your word? Would we be willing to share your truth with those that are lost? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.